Third John. Third John, I believe, the shortest book in the New Testament. I, it's just slightly shorter than Second John. It's a very, very short book. And so, just um, ask that you look there as we think about that and we consider fathers. You know, fathers, a good question for us to answer is this question here. What one thing could your children do that would give you the greatest joy? What one thing could your children do that would give you the greatest joy? (laughs) Now, as we look at this and we consider this subject, you know, there's all kinds of topics that come to mind. You know, people may say, well, I wish my kids would just stay out of trouble and live a good life. Maybe be good citizens, respectable people. Some parents, their goal is their children become financially stable and strong financially. Others, that they would be honored academically. You know, they've got degrees after their name and they've made a name for themselves in the academia world. Others, that uh, they would love to have their kids be a sports hero. And they push them in sports and push and push and push in sports and try to get them climbing the ladder in sports. There's all kinds of things that parents want out of their children. But we ask ourselves a very important question. What did John want from his children? Well, here in John chapter, 3 John chapter 1, verse number 4, John answers that question. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. In order for a Christian father to have great joy in hearing that his children walk in truth, there are four events that must take place. We're going to look at those this morning. Four events that must take place in order for a father to say, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. Number one is a real obvious one. You've got to be a father. Right? A man with no children cannot grasp that truth. You cannot grasp what it means to be a father that looks at his children and says, I'm rejoicing my children walk in truth. You've got to be a father to do that. You know, men with physical children, with, sorry, without physical children, cannot comprehend what it's like to have children. I mean, you just can't. It's one of those things you just can't do. I, I was thinking about this and pondering over, you know, most, most of you know that I grew up on a farm. And I'm so grateful that I grew up on a farm because it's been such a blessing to me over the years. But some of the things that I learned on that farm and did on that farm, most of you have never done. I can talk about them and you say, well, yeah, I can kind of picture them up, but you can't really grasp it because you've never been there, done it. For example, growing up on the farm, I had the privilege and an experience of milking cows. How many of you ever milked a cow? A couple of you have, all right? Milking cows is not something that people do too often, especially not in town. But I've milked lots of cows. I had the privilege of um, feeding the pigs. We used to have some pigs. We, and the, the pigs are kind of a messy lot. But uh, I had the privilege of feeding them. And I've told you about one experience of feeding the pigs, and some of you may not have heard it, but um, we had an electric fence around the pig pen. And I'd have to feed the pigs over the fence, just put the feed in their trough that was just on the other side of the fence. One day I was feeding the pigs. I had to give them some water, and I had a steel bucket full of water, and I poured it, and I hit the fence. Oh, I sang soprano. Real soon. I mean, that electric fence shocked me good. I never forgot that. It was was a shocking experience. 
I had the privilege of watching a calf be born. Several different occasions. Making maple syrup. Baling hay. Climbing a 24 meter grain silo. I can't say as I like that. I did it a few times, but I'm scared of heights. I'd really be on, on the ground. But it was quite an experience. You get up there and you can see for a long ways. But these are things that unless you've done that, plowed a field and all the different things that I've done, unless you've done that, you can kind of picture it in your mind, but you can't really relate. And so it is in fatherhood. You know, you can, we know about fathers and you had a father and, you know, we understand some basics about fatherhood, but until you're actually a father and have that responsibility and have that duty hang, hanging over you, you can't really grasp all that's involved in as being a father. It's a real eye-opener in many ways. But the children John is speaking of here were spiritual children. Doesn't matter whether you have physical children or not, but all of you can have spiritual children. That's a great thing. If you lead someone to Christ, they become your spiritual child. And you are then related to them spiritually. And that is a blessing. You know, all of us can do that. It's just a matter of Sharing the gospel with someone and leading them to salvation. You say, Pastor, that's not as easy to make it sound. You're right, it's not. I mean, it's not complicated, but it's difficult because people in our community aren't really all that interested in knowing Christ as their Savior. You can talk to people and say, that's fine for you, but leave me alone. I don't want that. And they're not interested. And you know, things are not going to get any better as we go on in the future. Just this week, I'm, I'm reading through the book of Revelation in my Bible time. And uh, I'm noticing some things. I just got done teaching to it, but I'm noticing some things I didn't even see when I was teaching to it. One of them I noticed was that the, God's going to seal 144,000 Jewish people during the tribulation period so that they cannot be killed. But the next verse says that there was a great multitude without number. Now that stuck in my mind. This was a big group of people from all nations, kindreds, peoples, tongues, languages that were going to be martyred during the tribulation period. The tribulation period is going to be a bloodbath. There are going to be multitudes of people that come to Christ during the tribulation that are going to lose their life because of their stand for Christ. And when I thought about that, People without number. That's multitudes. Why? Because the Antichrist and the devil's crowd hated them. Killed them. And you know, we live in a hostile world today. So sharing the gospel is not all that easy. I mean, it's easy to share it, but it's not that easy to see response. It's frustrating. But you know, we need to strive to do that. We can ask God to give us a passion for souls. I need to do that more often. God, give me a passion for souls. So often we just get callous and say, well, you know, I don't have any perfect opportunity. If somebody walks up to me and says, would you tell me about Jesus? I'll be happy to do that. But unless that happens, you know, I kind of keep my mouth shut. That's not the way we need to face it because that's probably not going to happen. Not very often does that ever happen. Somebody comes up to you and asks you how to become a Christian. That'd be great if it did. But we need to Pass out tracts. Speak out for Christ whenever we have an opportunity. 
Learn that gospel hand that we talked about a while back. Just a few weeks back, we, I went through, and I'm, I'm planning on building a, making a chart, that I, a big one that I can put on the wall here, and, and review the gospel hand. I haven't got it done yet. But the gospel hand is an easy way of sharing salvation. You know, that God loves us. We're all sinners. The, that Christ came and died on the cross to pay the debt of our sin, and that we, we need to, uh, just as in marriage, there's a separation from and a separation to, uh, we need to separate from the evil of this world and turn to Christ. He says, repent and be converted. And then we need to re- receive what he get, did for us and be saved. I mean, that, that'll help you in sharing the gospel with others. All of us can do that. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes determination. But you can do it. And if we have spiritual children, John here speaks of his spiritual children. And we ask ourselves, well, who is he talking about here? Well, He's talking about Gaius. Verse number one says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I loved in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John here is saying, Gaius, you are one of my spiritual children. And I rejoice in the fact that you're doing well. You're growing spiritually. And he says, I think about the words that he said here. These are amazing. He said, I want you to prosper physically as you are prospering spiritually. How would you like someone to say that about you? I mean, if we're walking with the Lord, that's a compliment. If we're not walking with the Lord, that's a curse. He said, I want you to be blessed financially and physically in the same regard as God is blessing you in your spiritual walk. Now, you know, if we're not walking with the Lord, that ought to spur our hearts on to say, you know, I need to get my act together because I want God to be able to bless me. And God can't bless me if I'm not walking with him. So John's talking to his spiritual children. Many times throughout Paul's writings, Paul spoke of his spiritual children. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15, and Galatians 4, 19, and 1 Timothy 1, 2, and Titus 1, 4, and Philippians 1, uh, Philemon 1, 10. These are times when Paul would write and he'd say things to people. For example, the one there in, in Titus uh, 1, verse 4, he says, To Titus... Mine own son after the common faith. And he wrote to Timothy. He said, to Timothy, my son. And he referred to these people whom he led to Christ. They were his spiritual children. So Tim, uh, John here was actually talking about his spiritual children. If you've led your physical children to Christ, this is a double blessing. You know, not only do you have them physically your child, but if you've led them to Christ, they're your spiritual child as well. And so this is John's passion here, is he said, my, my greatest joy is to hear that my children walk in truth. So the first thing that has to take, the first event that has to take place is you have to be a father. And a father, secondly, must know the truth himself. You cannot identify something if you don't know it yourself. You know, if you came to me with a complex mathematical 
equation and asking me to check to see if it was right, I would just say, I'm sorry, you're asking the wrong person. I don't have a clue. I didn't take trig. I didn't take all these advanced maths. I, I was kind of a, you know, give me the easy classes so I can get out of the school type of a person. And I didn't take those advanced math courses. So I couldn't help you. And so it is here. You cannot explain truth. You can't even identify truth if you don't know the truth. So that's where it's got to start. John uses the word truth more than 40 times in his writings. Now, John wrote the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote Revelation. So those books, 40 times plus, he used the term truth. Now, I think that John had some understanding of the truth. And he had a passion for the truth. For example, he was the one that quoted Jesus' prayer in, uh, as he was praying to the Father in John 17. And in verse number 17, in that quotation, he quotes Jesus as saying, Sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. Jesus was saying, Father, sanctify them. Make them holy through your truth. And my word is truth. Your word is truth. The scripture is true. And it is through the scripture that God teaches us truth. For us to know truth, we must study the Bible. There's a big difference between studying the Bible and reading the Bible. Sometimes Christians read the Bible, but very few Christians study the Bible. To study it means you dig. You pull it apart. You look at all the insides. You examine what it's talking about. There's so many things you can learn by just sitting down with a verse and just examining the verse and asking yourself all kinds of questions about that verse. What does it mean? Who said it? Where is it going? Who is he saying it to? What does that apply to me? All these kind of questions you can ask about that verse, and it will help you to understand. Then you can pull apart the words and look at the words, and what did that word mean in that culture, and how was it used, and how was it used in other parts of the Bible, and what does this mean in the context that is used here? That's studying the Bible. You don't get that from just reading it casually. And we need to understand the truth, we need to study the Bible. Sadly, many fathers know little of God's truth. And you look around in our world today, people that call themselves Christians, how much truth do they really know? They don't study the Bible very often. And we need to ask ourselves that question. You know, how much time have you devoted this week to studying the Bible? Think back over since last Sunday. How much time have you devoted personally to actually studying the Scriptures? What did you learn? Did you learn anything? If you didn't learn anything, you probably didn't study it. Or else you got a bad memory like mine. <laughs> but we need to learn and study the Scriptures. And ask God to help us. Write down the things you learn. One of the main reasons I write things down is because I forget. 
I've got a terrible memory. So I, every time I'm reading through the scriptures and I find a nugget, I write it down. So the next time I go back to that verse, there it is, and I've got it, and I won't lose it. And I write it in my Bible program. That's what's really helpful uh, because next time I go to that verse, there it is. You could write it on a scrap of paper, but, if, you know, after a time you get too big a pile of scrap of paper and say, what am I going to do with all these? And you say, oh, chuck them away. And then you don't find it again. So find a good way of recording your data, but write down the things you learn as you study the Bible. If you need help to learn to study the Bible, come see me. I'm happy to help you. got some ideas that will be a big help to you. Until the Father knows the truth, he cannot teach his children the truth, nor can he evaluate the truth in their walk. You know, how can he say, well, my children are walking in truth. Well, what's truth? Well, I don't really know, but I think they're walking in it. No, you've got to know the truth before you can tell whether they're walking in the truth. And so, very important as a father, we need to know the scriptures. We need to know the word of God. Know the truth. But the third event that must take place is that a father must teach his children the truth. It's got to be taught. It's not going to just... They're not going to just absorb it because you know the truth. God gives fathers the primary duty of teaching their children. Now, mothers have a responsibility as well. But God places the primary responsibility on the fathers. And because fathers are usually busy working, mother usually gets stuck with most of the training, and therefore they don't get the father's training like they should. No father can expect his children to walk in truth if he does not seek to teach the truth to his children. We can't expect anything else. And while fathers cannot force their children to believe God's truth or to receive Christ as their Savior, fathers have a God-given duty to keep the gospel in front of them. I mean, that's a challenging thing as a parent. We want our children to come to Christ. You can't cram it down their throat. You can't force them to be convicted. God's the one that's got to convict their heart. We can't do that. But we can keep it in front of them. What did the scripture say? What did God say will give faith? So faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So he said we need to. That's in Romans 7, uh, 10, 17. We need to keep the scriptures before them that they might hear it. And the more they hear the scriptures, the more they are going to have faith increase in their heart. And faith is what will convict their heart and help them to believe the truth. So we need to keep the word in front of them. Turn with me back now to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here in this well-known passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses was addressing the congregation of Israel. They were, Moses was about to die. And he was addressing Israel, giving them instructions regarding preparing to enter in the promised land. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 6, he says, these words, the words that he had just taught them throughout the law, these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently 
unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. He said, I want the word taught to your children. And in the context of the chapter, he's primarily speaking to the men, the fathers. He said, I want you to teach them. Let me give you some tips on helping you to teach the scriptures to your children. Or to anybody for that matter, but primarily we're thinking of our children today. Number one, lead a daily family Bible time with your children. Lead that as fathers. Be the leader that leads the family daily Bible time. As our children were growing up, we did not have Bible time together on Wednesday night or Sunday night because we had just had the church service. But all the other nights, we would try to have a family Bible time together. That's an important thing for us to do. Number two, teach your children how to personally study the Bible and how to find principles that will help them to grow spiritually. I mean, if you just tell your child, go read John chapter 3, yeah, he might go read John chapter 3 like he would read the newspaper or he'd read some boring book and he walks away and say, yep, I read my chapter. But he didn't learn anything because we haven't taught him how to find anything in it. Teach them how to look for things that stand out, things that can be of help, things that can be an encouragement, and teach them how to find a principle in it that will feed their soul. Number three, regularly share principles that you have learned from your Bible study. That's a big one. If we would regularly share with our children, just as part of conversation. Hey, son, listen, let me tell you what I learned today in the Bible. I was reading there in you know, John chapter 3, and I found this, and wow, this is really good. This was really helped. Share what you've learned. You know, sometimes we feel so intimidated. We think, well, I feel embarrassed. Listen, don't feel embarrassed of your kids. Just share with them. Talking about the Scripture ought to be an open thing. Teach them to memorize Scripture and use time to quiz them on spiritual things, on on the verses that they've learned. You know, children are like a sponge. They can memorize verses three times faster than us old folk. And they remember them. If you get them down, you review them and review them. I remember one year, I was probably about 11 or 12. We We had a summer... They call them uh, Vacation Bible School, which was just a week-long Bible emphasis for kids. And often they would have a contest to see who could memorize the most verses. You know, and you try to cram in about 50 or 60 verses for the week, and you get a prize because you get the most. But one year, my pastor was the teacher of our class, and he said, we're not going to memorize, you know, 100 verses. We're going to memorize about six. And he just drilled and drilled and drilled them. And most of those verses I still know today. Because he drilled them in and reviewed them and drilled them in and reviewed them. And you know, we're better off learning ten verses and learning them well and so that we can apply them to our lives than learning a hundred verses that we won't remember next week. 
because we didn't really memorize them. So, but teach your children, help them to memorize, give them quizzes, make a little cards out. You can even buy memory verse cards, you know, from various places that already have them on the card and questions on the back. There's all kinds of things you can do to help your children memorize scripture and memorize it along with them. Number five, encourage them to have spiritual table talk rather than talking about sports and hobbies and other things. How many families, they sit down for a meal and they talk about anything and everything but except God and the Bible. Never mention spiritual things. That ought not to be. Oh, there's nothing wrong with talking about what you do at school today. That's fine. But our conversation shouldn't just be on secular stuff. We should also be talking about spiritual things. That's why... Moses said, when you're sitting down, when you're rising up, let's talk about the scriptures. Number six, share blessings and answers to prayer together. Our kids need to know that God is a God that gives us blessings and answers our prayers. Next, we see that we could pray regularly with each of our children. What a blessing it would be. If a father took each of his children and said, come on, let's go just take a walk. We're going to just spend some time praying together. I've read or of some fathers that, you know, they, they take their children to school. And on the way to school, they would have prayer as they're traveling down the road. Obviously, he's not, dad's not shutting his eyes. But, you know, they're, they're driving to school and they're praying together. I don't care how you do it or when you do it, but just pray with the kids. Let them hear Dad pray and pray with them and teach them to pray and help them, help them to learn to pray. Then last, plan times alone with each child when you can check on their spiritual life and give them some fatherly encouragement. We need that. We need that checkup time where you just sit down with each one individually and just talk to them and spend some time. Maybe have... One day of the week when you do it for this child and one day of the week where you do it for another child, but you regularly do something special in the afternoon or evening. You get home from work and you say, all right, it's, it's uh, dad and I time for, for, for Johnny. All right, so let's go, Johnny. And you go talk to him and, and spend time with him, do something fun with him and see how he's doing spiritually. Check up on him. It's important that we do that to be able to have a feel for what John is talking about here in this passage. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Many fathers neglect their fatherly role of teaching their children God's truth. And there's no question about it. Yes, it takes time. It does take time. But it's time well spent and time that will count for eternity. You know, so much of what we do doesn't really make an impact for eternity. Now, we're in the ninth month. So we've passed eight months this year. Think back over the last eight months. What have you done in the last eight months that will count for eternity? I mean, yes, God wants us to feed the family. We gotta work. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those kind of things. But there ought to be something in our life regularly that we're doing, whether we're fathers or we're mothers or we're just anyone. If you're a Christian, there ought to be things that you're doing that is helping you to grow spiritually. 
Things that you're doing that are going to last for eternity. Remember, Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. But he says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. How many treasures have you laid up in this last eight months? Any? What have you laid up? What have you done that would last? I mean, sharing the gospel with someone, for example. That's something that will last for eternity. I mean, if you share the gospel with someone, even if they don't get saved, one day, God in eternity, at the judgment day, he's going to bring back to their mind those words that you spoke to them. I really believe he will, because he's going to open up the books, the books that record all that took place. That's something that will last for eternity. You helped the neighbor when it was inconvenient, but you did it to be a blessing because you're a Christian. That will last. But so much that we do is just for our fun and our entertainment and, and our pleasure, and it's all going to be poof, it's going to be gone. Now, those things have a place. I'm not putting them all down, but I'm just saying we need to factor into our lives things that will last. Parenting years pass like a speeding train. All of you that are my age know that's exactly true. I mean, the years of my children being at home just went, boom, they're gone. You think, whoa, how did that pass so fast? And we need to take advantage of those times. If you still have children under your care, make every effort to use those moments for the glory of God. Before long, it will be too late. But we must also teach our spiritual children. Not only our physical children, but some of you here don't have physical children, but you could have spiritual children. And John's had spiritual children. We need to strive to teach and help our spiritual children. Now, how can we do that? You know, are you mentoring some younger believer? There's lots of younger believers. Even if they're not your physical child or not, not even your spiritual child, they're a younger person that could need some encouragement and you could kind of take it upon yourself to be a blessing to them and a help to them and encouragement to them and mentor them. You know, they, they may, you can maybe engage them in a Bible study together. You don't have to need to be a Bible scholar to do that. You don't have to know all the Bible perfectly to, in order to have a Bible study with someone. You might say, well, I don't even know how to do that. Come see me. I've got lots of Bible study ideas and even some little papers that you could use to be help you to help a Bible study with someone. It would be a great encouragement to you. It would be a blessing to them as well. If you want to have a Bible study, please let me know. I'd be happy to help you with that. But we need to spend quality time trying to train others in the Scriptures, even if it isn't our own children. But number four, the fourth event that must take place in order for us to say, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth, is that a father must observe that his children are walking in the truth. You need to be able to see that. John said here, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children were walking in truth. He said, I heard that. How did John hear that? Well, he tells us in the passage. Traveling preachers had passed through the area, spoke with John, 
and they say, you know, Gaius, your spiritual child, he is an awesome Christian. He's living for the Lord. He's walking in the truth. God is blessing him. He's being a blessing to others. He's being a help to traveling preachers. He was a blessing to us when we passed through his area. And he's, he's sharing. They shared with John these things. And John's saying, oh, that's such a blessing to hear. Gaius is walking with God. He hasn't given up. He hasn't quit. He's keep pressing on. Gaius is a blessing. John was excited about that. It was a blessing to him. You know, as I thought on this, I can relate. And I don't want to just, you know, make you think that I'm some hero. I'm certainly not. But I can remember a time, and this could be happening with you as well. It's not just with me. Years ago, we lived in Papua New Guinea. And I had a Bible study that was, oh, it was probably about a 20-minute drive from town. There was a trade school. I don't remember what the kids were studying. It was mostly, I think it was all boys that were there, learning some kind of skills, trade school skills. And I heard that there were some Christians out there that would like to have a Bible study. They would live too far away to come into church. It was quite a ways out there. So I went out once a week and had a Bible study with these boys out there at the Teledig School. And a few of the boys trusted Christ as their Savior during those Bible studies. What a blessing. He's, these are young men that are in their late teens, early 20s. And years later, somebody came to me and says, Brother Scott, did you know, do you remember Daniel? I said, Daniel who? Daniel, one of those boys that got saved out of Teledig when you were out there. You remember Daniel? Oh, yeah, I remember Daniel. He says, Daniel's now a preacher back in his village. He took the gospel back to his village out in the remote areas of Simbai, and he's preaching the gospel back there. And I tell you, that just made my heart rejoice. What a blessing to hear one of my children walking in the truth. That's a joy. Now, that's something all of us can experience. You can, to just hear that one who you've mentored or you've won to Christ or you've been an encouragement to them, they've gone on to serve God, they're still living for Jesus, and you can sit back and say, that's a joy and a blessing. What a joy! And that's exactly what John was saying here. He says, I rejoice, I rejoice that my children walk in the truth. Fathers, Are your children walking in the truth? If they are, let that bring great joy to your heart. Rejoice in that. And thank God my children are walking in the truth. Praise God. If they're not, do as the father of the prodigal son did in Luke 15. What did he do? He kept on loving, kept on praying, Kept on watching. That's all we can do. Love and pray and watch. And it is a heartbreak to have children that aren't walking in the truth. No question about it. But we can continue to love them, pray, and watch. Waiting for the time when God brings them back and we can rejoice that they come back to God. Pray to that end. Strive to that end. If your children are still under your care, are they making progress spiritually? Are they growing? Are they progressing? Are they walking in the truth? 
What could you do as a father to help them improve their walk in the truth? What is it you could do that would maybe help them to become more of what God wants them to be? If your children do not know the Lord, make it your focus and constant prayer to keep the gospel in front of them. It's not right or helpful for parents to push the gospel on their children. We live in a world where only God knows, but it breaks my heart to think. There's been multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people who have been inoculated and vaccinated spiritually that didn't know Jesus. You try to talk to them about Christ, and all they say is, Oh, and they're done that. Leave me alone. I'm all right. And they don't know Jesus. You can't get close to them now because I've tried that. didn't work for me. Or I tried that. And some of them just kind of go on with emotions and kind of fake it along the way, but they don't really know the Lord. And they're going to spend eternity in hell. And that's tragic. And sometimes it's because parents have crammed it down their throat and said, come on, Johnny, you need to pray this little prayer because you're, you know, you're four years old now, and if you don't pray this prayer, you might die and go to hell. Come on, say this little prayer. And say, you know, okay, daddy. Praise this little prayer. Okay, now you're all set. That doesn't fix them. God's got to convict their heart. Keep the gospel in front of them and pray, pray, pray until God pricks their hearts and they come and say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And let the Lord change their life. But just keep it in front of them. Keep praying for them. Let me change gears just for a second here as we wrap it up. And I want to speak to the children. All of us are children. Big children, little children. But especially the younger ones. As we think about this from a child's perspective, we go back to the book of Proverbs in chapter 15, and throughout Proverbs, Solomon speaks a lot on these issues. But one verse that stands out in Proverbs 15, verse number 20, it says, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Think about the words there. He says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Does your walk as a child, whether you're an adult child or a young child, does your walk give your father great joy? Perhaps your father, if you're older, your father may not even be alive. But if he is alive and he knows the Lord, does the way that you're living bring joy to him? It should. Can your father truly see that you are walking in the truth? He should. What areas of your life need to change so that your father and the Lord can greatly rejoice? You know, as you look at your own life and you look down inside and you ask yourself, what do I need to change in order for Dad and God to rejoice in the way I live? We need to ask ourselves that question very carefully. Have you trusted Christ 
to save your soul? If not, why not? This morning we've noted four events that must take place before a father can greatly rejoice that his children walk in truth. We saw there that he first of all needs to be a father. But I also pointed out that it can apply to all of us because all of us can be spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers in some cases. A father must know the truth himself before he can have something to share with his children. And he must teach the truth to his children. And then he must be able to observe the truth in his children. See it in them or hear it. Somebody else says, you know, your, your son did this or your daughter did this or, or they're walking with the Lord. And, and John saw this and it was a great blessing to his heart. Fathers, what would God have you to do to help your children walk more in the truth? What would God want you to do to help your children to be walking more in the truth? As I pointed out a few moments ago, we're all children. And each of us has or had a father. And if he had If he was a believing father, does your Christian walk give him joy? If not, what do you need to change? What do you need to change in your life that it might make your father or your spiritual father rejoice?